And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Starcast, the German football pod brought to you by The Athletic. It's all over. Bayern have won the Bundesliga again. Or have they? Christoph Biermann is here to tell us whether the title race is really over following the Champions win at Schalke on Sunday. There's another disappointing Dortmund defeat to digest, a big win for Eintracht Frankfurt and a big section on Mainz. Yes, Mainz. Talking of which, we'll be telling you all about Chelsea's new managerial appointment. But first of all, we have special correspondent Mark Schwitzki standing by to give us the background on the big changes in the German capital. He writes for Hertha-based blog, which begs the question, Hertha, how low can you go? All of this and more in Starcast. Hello gents and hello dear listener. Just before we get going, your reminder that The Athletic's fine content is available for just £3.99 at the moment. Go to theathletic.com slash starcastpod to sign up. Christopher and Mark, we have to start in the capital. Another defeat for Bruno Labbadia, uh, which proved to be his last one, uh, as well as for Michael Preetz, the sporting director, who'd been there for what, was it uh, 12 years? Almost 12. Almost 12 years. Uh, was this always coming or was it still a bit of a surprise for you, Mark? It was a bit of a surprise just because there were so many reasons over the past years and um, so many chances to sack him that you didn't really believe they were going to do it now. But of course, I think there was no alternative to this decision. I think it has a lot to do with Carsten Schmidt as the new CEO of Hertha. Yeah, go on. You, we want to know more. <laughs> okay, so uh, Carsten Schmidt is now since December in the club. And I think in his last uh, 55 days, actually, he so observed the club and how people are acting in their roles and how decisions are made. And I think this was one point that this wasn't efficient enough, not good enough. And he, I think he saw some problems there, but also, of course, um, the results of the last weeks and games were um, the main point for sacking Kjell and Bruno Labbadia because you, you now need a turning point in the season um, and you just going to achieve it with the, you only achieve it with new faces I think. Christoph a few months ago or well it was just a year ago I think we were laughing a little bit about Jürgen Klinsmann and his dossier saying you know Michael Preetz is one of those guys who's just always a bit too comfortable but there was some truth in it, wasn't there? And maybe Preetz going was had had to happen as, as part of this new Hertha emerging as a bigger club? 
At least, I think, with with the investors having come in, his position has, has changed or it was more under pressure or more under uh, scrutiny be, uh, than before. He was protected for many years uh, through a lot of crisis by uh, Gegenbauer, the Hertha boss, the, the president of the, of the club. I mean, they have been uh, relegated twice without sacking... Uh, Michael Preetz, but I, I think after uh, Tenor and Lars Winters uh, came in, there were uh, constant complaints from that side uh, towards Michael Preetz because uh, they had the impression that Hertha under him was uh, underachieving. And I think uh, if you put the investment they made and, and the results they get, you, you have at least um, for this period, you have proof of that. And so it, it was logical. And I think uh, there was also no chance for Gegenbauer uh, anymore to, to protect Michael Preetz. And, and also uh, because with uh, Carsten Schmidt in as the no, uh, new CEO, the, the, the power within the, the football uh, of Hertha, so the footballing company of Hertha um, had changed. And I, I think we all saw it coming in, in a way over the uh, last weeks uh, because um, Hertha was uh, way below what you could expect from them. And uh, one reason was Bruno Labbadia was not able to develop this talented squad into a team on the one hand side and maybe uh, that there were uh, too many flaws in how this um, pool of talent was put together and that is uh, probably uh, also for the successor of uh, Bruno Labbadia difficult to form a decent team out of it. Of course Labbadia failed but It wasn't easy for him, not at all. Like because in the last summer before the season start uh, was starting, had a lost so important players like Ibisevic, like Shebret, Kraft, Kalu, people who are extremely important for the climate of the team and how that the that these players are a team they forged them together where they were sort of the glue of the team and you lost them. But you didn't replace them in any way. I would only Alexander Schwolo, the new keeper, I think, um, is a, uh, has the right mentality. But other than that, this is no team. And of course, for the new players, then it's hard to to settle in and uh, to perform at the highest level because nobody. This is no team. They didn't grow together, and there is no team mentality. And of course, for new players, it's very they struggle then and also Labadia struggled to um, to uh, put them together to a team and of course they, he didn't do everything right, of course not, but I think that Michael Preetz with his plans for um, the team didn't help him a lot. Maybe not at all. I think you made a point on Twitter, Mark, that uh, Labadia was unable to, to work in a stadium with a crowd for for his entire reign, effectively, yeah. was that an issue as well, or perhaps could have been could it have been even worse with the crowd there, seeing Hertha's performances, especially in recent weeks? I think it would have, would have been harder. First of all, Hertha is not a team uh, which is performing well under pressure. <laughs> We saw it in the first derby against Union; they collapsed. Um, I think being without 
the uh, supporters in the stadium was a bit of a yeah I, th I don't know it's it wouldn't it didn't have been bad for them for them and i think the pressure uh, would have been very very high and people would have stated their mind in re regarding Hertha and their performances so i think it would have been harder yeah Christoph, I, i i slightly yeah. disagree because i i think uh when when we talk about the problems uh, that Hertha is having and obviously a key problem seems to be to put together a a team that works as a team on the pitch there were a lot of new players coming in in the last year and most of it um, most of these new players never had an idea who they were playing for. And I think maybe that would have helped mm -hmm. if they would have experienced a full stadium or at least a, a play in front of uh, 50 or 60,000 uh, people and and uh, see, I mean, on, on good days, there can be a, a, a very good atmosphere at the Olympic Stadium uh, with the Ostkurve, so the east part of a, a stadium, Uh, supporting uh, the team and so on and and so these all these new players coming to a new city were playing into this kind of void and also a lot of them were uh, or, or some of them were coming from uh, from abroad they didn't know nothing about the Bundesliga and I mean it, it's all wild speculation if it go would have been going this way or that way if it would be more pressure or would have helped them to settle in Uh, but I think it's um, uh, I, I, I'd rather see a chance missed that uh, that Hertha was not playing in front of their, their fans. I guess we'll we'll never know. The question is, I think, will they get this reset right? Carsten Schmidt is in charge now. He seems to be the new powerful man, maybe even more so than than Gegenbauer, the president. Is he effectively representing the interest of Lars Winters, the, Lars Winters, the investor, uh, Mark? Or is he uh, more independent than that? Yeah, we're going to find out, right? He's new at the club, but he already told that regarding the decision who was going to coach the team and things like that, Tenor and Lars Winters have no saying in that. And he made that very clear, the point. So I think he wants to be independent. Of course, he has to speak with Lars Winters. Um, That's uh, pretty natural in this partnership, but I think he's he wants to be independent and wants to be the strong man and not to and not want to speak for both parties. I think this is, isn't going to be possible anyway. So um, yeah, I think he wants to stand uh, for Hertha and not for Winters, but of course he has to speak uh, has to hold up a conversation with them i i think that um carsten schmidt has a trust of tenor and uh, so he can be a kind of moderator if if there needs some uh, that there, there is some moderation needed between the club between gegenbauer or, or uh, uh, until saturday or sunday um uh, between tenor and and michael Preetz and and the, the whole sporting side of the of the club so but right now i i also would seem more as an independent in an independent uh, mole, a role of a moderator. Can we say anything about what happens next? Um, there's been talk about Paul Dardai coming back as a stand-in coach, interim caretaker, until the end of the season. Are Hertha and 
you know, the people in charge now? Are they looking for, for a big name, for a transformative manager? And, and who's going to be the new sporting director? Mark and Christoph, what are you hearing? You're always well informed, the two of you. So there were some speculations about Ralf Rangnick. I don't think it's realistic, but it could be. Um, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, but I don't think it's uh, realistic. I think because of this short period of time for the next for finding the next coach, it's gonna be Paul Dada. I think some newspapers like the Kicker already uh, wrote about that, and um, I I could uh, imagine that he is gonna uh, take over until the season ends, and then the new big solution is going to uh, to come to the club. So maybe this is the plan. I don't think you uh, would now find the big, huge solution for the club. I agree. I think it's uh, very likely that uh, Paul Dardai is is um, uh, taking over as a kind of caretaker manager t towards yeah. the end of the season. Um, he has a trust of the club. He has a trust uh, also of, of most of the fans. He has been in charge of Hertha for five years. And, and I think he at least uh, would be able to to finish the season decently and that's uh, i think uh, nothing more can be uh, accepted now the caretaker sports director is is Arne Friedrich if he is more than that um, and if he turns out to be the in-house solution for the future i, I think needs to be seen I think it's a chance for him to um, to get more more profile, but altogether, my impression really is that um, as Hertha is uh, thinking big, they will continue to look for a a, a big name and a big solution. And uh, Ralf Rangnick obviously could be that man, but he has so many options. So so many clubs are interested in him, and I think he is always ha still having an eye also to become a German national coach. Uh, so. I think it will be difficult for him to easily say, come on, I'll do it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the problem with Hatter is that this is such a massive project. I think the idea that you're just going to pump 200 million euros into it and make a big change was always flawed. And it's going to take a lot more building work from the ground up, perhaps even with the new stadium to get Hatter into the position where they can be a genuine power, a sustainable force in the Bundesliga. It'd be really, really interesting if if that happens. Mark, before I let you go, is there any indication whether Lars Winters is prepared or able to put more money into the club? We've heard stories about um, some part of the money not coming or being conditional on some success. Um, is is that big investment already already gone, basically, or is there more coming? I think he, he is open to that. Of course, there were some financial problems in the summer which came out later um, in the season. But he uh, told the club that he wants to stay for maybe a decade, two decades. And this, this, would, uh, came, uh, this would come with a lot more of money, of course. I don't know how much more and I don't know um, if he's going to pump more into the club. But I think there's the possibility. Yeah, but I think it's uh, linked to the strategic plans of the club, of Carsten Schmidt, of Anne Friedrich, who's going to be coach, um, is he trustworthy, is he the hope, and um, does he create enough hope for the Tenor and uh, Lars Windhorst to invest even more money? We always talk about Lars Windhorst as if 
he would be dealing with his personal money. He is dealing with the money of investors. And maybe they also ask him some uh, tough questions now, uh, where their money has been going in the time since he, he stepped in at Hertha. Maybe he is also under pressure from, from this uh, side. So it will be interesting to see uh, what will happen in the, in the month to come. That should be interesting indeed. Um, just in terms of the sporting situation in immediate terms. I mean, Hertha now flirting with not perhaps relegation, but getting sucked into the fight for the playoff spot. They're only two points clear of Köln after that 4-1 home defeat against Bremen. Are you reasonably confident that with Paul Dardai in charge, things will improve at least to the point that they don't have to worry about going to the Bundesliga 2 next season, Mark? I think so, yes, because he took over the, um, five years ago in a pretty similar situation. But now he's even got better players. Of course, we talked about that it's not a team right now, but I think this is the biggest achievement of Paul Dardai um, in the past years to create such a team atmosphere. And... Um, I think I think there are some speculations that Sekhan Neuendorf, another club legend, is going to assist him. And I think in this union um, they could um, create such a, a team atmosphere. I would be confident that Hertha is going to stay in the league, in the Bundesliga with them, but it won't be a pretty finish. <laughs> well, I wish you all the best, Mark. You've been long-suffering, as many Hertha fans have been. Um, let's see if this is uh, going to all turn out for the better. And one year uh, we'll we talk about you. Europe. <laughs> yes, exactly. We'll have you back to then really confirm your official participation uh, in the uh, Super League as, uh, as a capital club. Until such time, do, do pop in before, if possible. Thanks for having me. Right, Christoph, One big name that is not going to end up at Hertha as a new manager is Thomas Tuchel. <laughs> It's uh, confirmed now that he will come in. Not officially confirmed, but sources have confirmed that he will come in to succeed Frank Lampard at Chelsea. Now, for those who perhaps haven't been following his fortunes so closely, what kind of manager is he? And will he be a good fit for Chelsea, in your view? I think so. He is, to, to start with it, he uh, uh, tactically, technically, um, and so on, he is a just a very good manager. And I think over the years now, he has assembled a lot of experience. Experience dealing with star players, uh, dealing uh, with difficult situations. I mean, he had... Um, Mbappé and Neymar at uh, Paris Saint-Germain. He had he had a sports director. He didn't get uh, uh, well along with uh, for for quite a while at PSG. He has a bit the reputation of uh, constantly creating conflict uh, with his superiors, especially um, since his time at uh, Borussia Dortmund. But but I, I think he is a a very good uh, choice for for Chelsea. I I still uh, see him as one of the uh, best. Uh, German-speaking uh, managers around. How do you think he's going to get on with uh, the people in power at Chelsea? If there's anything he's he's perhaps not so good at is is managing upwards. What what do you think? Um, will he have learned from his experiences at Dortmund? Will he fell out with with the sporting director and and with Sven Mislintat, the the coach? Will he have learned from perhaps you know fighting about transfer? 
market policies and, and decisions with Leonardo PSG? I hope so. I, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe we judge him um, a bit unfairly. Um, we, we, I, I don't know the, the insights at S, uh, PSG well enough um, to uh, say if it was his problem or if, if it was a problem from, from the side of the um, of the club, but but I think that's uh, it's a fair point uh, to ask this question, and uh, we have to see how he how he gets along with his superiors at at Chelsea. What kind of football do you think he'll play with this team? Good football. Um, good football means um, uh, he, I I always found him good in. In uh, bringing out the best out of his uh, players, uh, that dates back to his time at Mainz, uh, uh, where where he he was fantastically overachieving with a young team, but a team also with uh, obvious limitation. I think he also managed to play a lot of good, interesting, offensive football with um, with Borussia Dortmund. I mean, the the image was a bit. Uh, blurred when you look at uh, PSG because on the one hand side he had um, a a fantastic talent they were easily winning uh, the the, uh, French championship on the other hand side they looked a bit like underachieving in the uh, Champions League apart from from this year where they reached the uh, final he he has a a, a, a fantastic pool of talents at, at Chelsea and I I, I would be sure um, that you see them play better football than we have seen uh, in recent months. Yeah, I, I think the structure that he would bring to those teams uh, should be interesting. Um, I think he is, of all the new breed of German managers, perhaps the most varied and, and most hard to to quantify or to label with a specific tactical yeah label. <laughs> um, because his teams are influenced from the pressing side of things in the German school as well as the possession side of things of, of Guardiola. Would that be fair? I think that's a more more precise description. That's what I wanted to, to say um, with a maybe a, a bit vague term, good football. And good football for me means that a coach is able to look at what he has and then makes the best out of it. And that is exactly what you were saying, um, that he just have uh, has one idea about football, uh, but he has uh, several and uh, and then is choosing the one that fits best uh, uh, with his team. Mm, yeah, it should be really interesting what happens at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, of course, made his name as a successor, eventual successor of Jurgen Klopp. There was a manager in between at Mainz, where for the five years uh, of his reign, he amassed more points than anyone else apart from the top four in German football at the time. A tremendous achievement, which then got him his next big job at Dortmund. Uh, now, Christoph, you told me something over the weekend, which I found was at first maybe a joke or, um, <laughs> or, or something I didn't quite understand. But you said, can we talk about mines? Well, of course we can, but why? The obvious reason could be that they were defeating, uh, surprisingly, uh, RB Leipzig uh, 3-2, their only um, second win this season. 
but but I, I uh, the the more interesting thing um, was uh, they made a big transfer uh, last week. What they did in the in the middle of uh, the relegation fight that is almost no relegation fight for them anymore because the gap is uh, or was before the weekend uh, too big or it looked too big. Um, they sold uh, Jean Philippe Marteta to Crystal Palace or they they gave him on loan and towards the end of the season uh, a Crystal Palace can or needs to buy him and that is uh, at first a bit bizarre because uh, he was scoring half of the the very few uh, go so he was scoring uh, seven out of the 15 goals uh, Mainz had uh, scored before last weekend and uh, why did they do it um, they did it because um, I, I think it, it for me it's a sign that they have overcome that, their identity crisis. Um, in in recent years, um, they signed a lot of interesting uh, players from France, from Portugal, and and so on, uh, for whom Mainz. Uh, so that was the idea was a kind of stepping stone. Uh, to uh, bigger clubs. One of the examples is Jean-Philippe Gerbamin, who, who, who they sold uh, for 25 million euros to Everton. But uh, the guy, he, he's, he's a Ivorian French player um, who is uh, unfortunately was uh, uh, ever since injured uh, with two uh, very uh, heavy um, injuries and so what what, what they did uh, they they made mines uh, into this kind of stepping stone uh, club and and it worked for a while but over the time they have kind of lost their identity and too many players were with their minds already on their way to somewhere else and uh, Jean-Philippe Mateta was a, a perfect example uh, for it, he was a a star player in a club that doesn't really need star players, but that needs a a, uh, a strongly netted uh, team, and and I think what happened in in recent weeks at Mainz is uh, uh, trying to come back to what Mainz is uh, standing for. So one sign was uh, that Christian Heidel returned as a uh, as a ceo for the club christian heidel is a man uh, the man who yeah almost instantly developed um uh minds out of nowhere the man who found uh, Jürgen, uh invented jürgen klopp as a coach um who brought in the then youth uh, team coach uh, thomas tuchel um, and made Mainz from a very provincial small club into a Bundesliga club. Heidel failed at, at Schalke, I think it's fair to say that, and now he's back. Since then, they trying to be Mainz again, and also um, that they brought in Bo Svensson, who had been playing for the, as a, as a coach, uh, who had been playing for Mainz, who had worked uh, as a coach in their youth team, and then uh, spent some time at Liefering in the Austrian uh, second division. Liefering is a feeder club for RB Salzburg. And... Um, and, and uh, this is like Mainz... Uh, finding back to themselves and in that 
respect uh, selling Mateta was a kind of symbolic act and uh, although it might have been looked bizarre from the outside and it's interesting that uh, after this these moves uh, they managed to uh, beat huge favorite RB Leipzig and interestingly when you look at the numbers even it was even okay that they did it was wasn't just a lucky win so I think a tremendous week for Mainz. Um, I have my doubts if, if they can close the gap and really jump back into the relegation uh, fight, but at least uh, they are now where they want to be. Just one more question on Mainz. I think we all see, we have all seen that they've lost their sort of special Mainz factor over the last few years. The football had kind of lost its 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 identity as well, different coaches, different styles. So I think it makes sense, as you said, to reconnect with that. But on the player side, on the squad side, what alternative do minds have apart from buying players that want to see the club as a stepping stone? That's always going to be the case, isn't it, for, for a club of, of their size? So I guess the togetherness, the glue that has to come from from the crowd maybe from the manager i mean you cannot change the structure of where they sit in the bundesliga can you but i think they were it was just too much i, um, I think if if you have uh, two three highland highly talented players on their way to bigger clubs it, it, it's perfectly okay but but if you have a if you have a team where almost everybody is thinking yo i'm i'm only here for a year or two and then i go to the real world that's not Good. And I think it's it's not the idea to completely abandon the, the concept, but to balance it more out. Well, we see, as you said, if it's going to be enough for them to to stay up, that win has given them a bit of uh, a bit of hope, a bit of uh, positive momentum as well. Um, I think one word on Leipzig was this one of those games where they were just beaten by a by a team that seemed to be a little bit smarter in in the decisive moments. Um, Julian Nagelsmann afterwards talked about the pitch being in such a bad state that he had to change his lineup to become a little bit less possession based, and that almost English direct style that Mainz played worked wonders. Yeah, and Leipzig surprisingly made more mistakes than they would normally do even even Peter Gulagy uh, the goalkeeper who, who was excellent uh, this season so far uh, made a very obvious uh, mistake before one of the goals and um, and Emil Forsberg were also saying afterwards that they were main, maybe not concentrated enough for most of, of, of the match. So, yeah, it was very surprising to see uh, Leipzig to struggle this way. Also, when you see that they conceded uh, three goals where they had only conceded, I don't know, nine or so uh, be before before that. Um so it, I think it's a, it was a huge dis disappointment for Julian Nagelsmann because uh, <laughs> he was he was making this uh, nice joke uh, when he was asked um, about the uh, if they are still a contender for the um, uh, for the German champion uh, for the German title. He was saying, "Yeah, Bayern is in the 
ICE right now, so that's a high-speed train in Germany, and and we are in a regional train, <laughs> and and yeah, and, and so uh, the 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 tempo has uh, um, with the ambition for Leipzig this season in the Bundesliga has slowed down a bit. Mm. Well, Leipzig at least I think can be maybe reasonably happy in a strange way that Thomas Tuchel is going to Chelsea because that will maybe take away one of the clubs I think that had an eye on Julian Nagelsmann as far as the summer is concerned if not earlier um, but they suffered a real setback with that defeat seven points the gap now uh, between them in second place and Bayern who won fairly effortlessly against uh, Schalke on Sunday is that now it for Leipzig and everyone else Christoph? It feels like. Um, I mean, we have been talking about this kind of crisis of, of, of Bayern, and, um, but, but nobody took advantage of it. If, if it was a crisis, or it could have been looking more like a crisis if, um, uh, if uh, Leipzig wouldn't have dropped points, if uh, Dortmund wouldn't have dropped points again. And uh, yeah, and so it's Bayern again alone at the top of the table, as always. And as always, too early in the season. <laughs> Although the two previous seasons weren't like that, of course. Uh, remember, they were quite um, in the mix still uh, a year ago when Hansi Flick had just taken taken over. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, the, year right. before, yeah. Yeah. the year before, Dortmund were having a fantastic first half of the season. I think they had nine points um, of a gap between them and Bayern at some stage. But yes, this time, perhaps the weakness of the teams below them more pronounced than Bayern's own weakness, or perhaps the starting position is just so different that Bayern can, can afford that weakness. Um, having said all that, I was actually fairly impressed with them against Schalke. A Schalke team that played with a bit of uh, esprit, with a bit of commitment, that looked quite aggressive, that uh, tried everything within their own means to make it difficult for Bayern. But what I found in this game that Bayern had a really nice structure to the game, something that had been missing in recent weeks. Now, was that a bit of an illusion because Schalke pressed fairly late and allowed Bayern a bit more control in midfield? Or did you also see maybe signs of a bit more control coming back to Bayern's game? So I have a lot of shots of Schalke in, in, in my mind when I think about the match. And they had a, a very good uh, ch chance from a header by Mark Uth um, to go 1-0 up early in the match. So I think Bayern gave away way too many chances still. Didn't you think so? Uh, certainly in the beginning, um I, I must admit, I, I tuned in five minutes late, and I think that, <laughs> that might have. But it was not only in the. It was not only in the in the first five minutes. So um, yeah, no, no, you're right. Yeah, but, I mean, but, but, did, Schalke did have chances, but Bayern, I felt just, especially after taking the lead, just had a lot more control and and, and yeah. nice build-up play and some nice combinations that I had seen in recent weeks. Yeah, I, I think um, um, uh, their um, uh, their their way is showing up. Um, I would agree. It's uh, it's still not fantastic, super Bayern, but now it's uh, it's decent Bayern, and and also I think it it helps them um, that there is not much pressure from from the teams below them. Uh, so. Um, 
so you don't have these uh, huge discussions about them. Are they in a crisis? Are they not in a crisis? What's going wrong? And et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, uh, they looked good. They looked, uh, they played con uh, convincing football and, um, uh, and, and it was better than in, in weeks before. Um, the same cannot be said about Köln, unfortunately. They lost 3-0 at Hoffenheim. And Hoffenheim and Köln are not sort of the teams that we talk about that much. But I think we have to talk about Köln because they're now looking increasingly if they, as if they have to go via the relegation playoff spot uh, unless they can uh, pick up some points. Do you think uh, things have, have run its course there with, with Markus Gisdol in charge? We, we, we said last week um, um, that the psychology of the relegation uh, fight has changed a bit with um, Mainz and Schalke seem all already to be relegated. And so I, I think it also buys uh, Mark Gisdol um, probably some time but his main problem or the main problem uh, Cologne is having and you you could see it also at Hoffenheim uh, so so uh, Cologne didn't play badly but they are they again played without a nominal striker and um, until Anthony Modest came in who gave away a penalty but when it was uh, already 3-0 for um, Hoffenheim And uh, uh, this problem is haunting uh, FC Cologne uh, throughout the season. Um, most of their goals come from set pieces. Uh, almost nothing comes from open play. Um, their uh, main striker, Sebastian Andersson, is still injured. And, um, and, um, and, and, and it's, 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 um, it's difficult um, to judge if a different coach would uh, would be able uh, to turn this uh, situation uh, around in dramatic fashion without a different personnel. So I, um, right now, um, uh, my impression is that uh, Markus Gistol is um, at least keeping the cool and... Um, Uh, and not losing his nerve so so far, and uh, that might help him to uh, go on uh, for a while or until he has more options uh, in attack. Um, uh, we, we we have to see. We have to see indeed. I mean, Köln is another of those clubs where I'm just thinking: Is it almost good for them that there are no crowds? Um, with a crowd, they would have many more points. So on a pure sporting level, no. But the kind of reaction, the the criticism, you know, the anger from the fans at this point would be would be a lot to deal with for everyone else. Um, maybe it's a little bit easier in such a crisis when you don't necessarily see the reaction of those who are disappointed, who feel let down by the team's performances on a, on a daily basis almost. But talking of all these things, the mind inevitably turns to Borussia Dortmund, Christoph, because <laughs> they have been an enigma, a disappointment to themselves, a frustration for you and me, for mo most uh, neutrals, I would, I would suggest. And this was another one of those games for them. 4-2 they lost against the Borussia Mönchengladbach on Friday night in what might well have been uh, Marco Rose's last win against Dortmund because he will, of course, well, he might, he might. Uh, move over 
to the other Borussia at the end of the season and see if he can sort them out. I mean, do we have to look at deeper issues now that go beyond the coaching? Is there something with the way the team has been put together that somehow makes them susceptible for these kind of results with a lack of balance, with a lack of focus, set pieces, not defended well? Has this almost become part of the DNA of this team? If that would be so, um, uh, the worries uh, would be even bigger because, I mean, for Borussia Dortmund, it's now it's it's uh, it's a very important fight to at least finish in the in the top four um, because it would be a massive financial blow if they wouldn't qualify for for the Champions League. Um, I I found them a a bit too harshly punished at uh, at Mönchengladbach um, because they had had a very difficult uh, start of the game where they were almost overran by uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, but then uh, managed to to escape from the pressure and uh, and turn the match completely around. And I found them uh, in between very, very good. But yes, you're right. I mean, you, you see them playing very good football and and then they giving they were giving away very easy goals and um and and I was a bit angry to be honest about Marco Reus because he was after the match he was like yeah we we always we have this problem with set pieces and and then I was thinking yeah because of you also uh, there was this free kick uh, before the equalizer from uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach where it became 2-2 uh, when last uh, Stindl was shooting, and um, it was Marco Reus who opened uh, the way for the shot. Uh, so, and uh, Roman Bürki could only see it very lately and deflect it. And then uh, there was this equalizer by Nico Elvedi. And uh, if 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 Marco Reus w- w- just would have been um, standing there and had been hit by the ball there. There wouldn't be any problem, and um, and and if you have situations uh, like that constantly, uh, it's it's a bit strange because on the other on the other end of the pitch you you play sometimes very good uh, in in the best moments even breathtaking uh, of football and uh, and and throw it away at the um, in your own half. Um, it's very difficult to to explain, and um, and uh, it's 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 a lot about. There have been a lot about discussions about the mentality of this uh, Borussia Dortmund team, and um, and uh, the the ability to concentrate, especially um, at set pieces, and uh, if. Um, in Terzic on, and if the team is not um, finding a solution to these problems, um, they will uh, have serious problems to to qualify uh, for for the Champions League. And um, and uh, I think if they um, put together the team for the next seasons or, or the next years to come, um, I think it will be their main focus will be. Uh, to find players who are able to uh, concentrate on both ends of the um, of the pitch for ninety minutes. 
I think it's 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 very important because um, uh, we don't see that right now. Mm-hmm. And are we any sure about the long-term successor there of, of Lucien Favre? Do you think it is all coming down to Marco Rosa moving over to the other Borussia? Um, yeah, um, he he still is uh, um, the main target, by, but I think the door is still open for Edin Terzic. Um, if he if, if he is able to um, solve the problems we have been talking about, uh, that there is a, an, an actual chance for him to be uh, the Borussia Dortmund coach also next season. Hmm. Okay, a chance that he needs to grasp by. At least finishing fourth, though. Dortmund now in seventh, 29 points. Three points off fourth place, which is now occupied by Wolfsburg, who've been quietly, almost under the radar, getting good results. Uh, a particularly good one away to Leverkusen. A 1-0 win. Leverkusen looked very low on ideas and options against this uh, pretty excellent Wolfsburg defense. Oliver Glasner there. Uh, not necessarily making his name with expansive, thrilling football, but a very competent uh, performance and a very competent coach, it seems. Uh, is it time that we give him a bit more respect, maybe on this pod, Christoph? Yeah, they they only um, have conceded um, uh, two defeats uh, so far this season, and um, they only conceded 19 goals, so they are defensively very um, stable. Um, and... Uh, they, you, you can see that they there is a strong cohesion on on the pitch. It's it's very difficult to play against them um, because their uh, their pressing is organized very well. So yes, um, they are a good team and um, and uh, but but not a a, a fascinating to watch team uh, to be uh, honest. And that is not uh, my way of saying they are boring. They are not boring, but they are also not fascinating. Yeah, I think that is true, not just of the team, but of Wolfsburg as a, as a club, perhaps. <laughs> but um, but I have a I, I have some some somebody for, uh, another team for our. Uh, listeners that we haven't mentioned uh, very often and they are on their way upwards and that is Eintracht Frankfurt and they yes, I was just um, about them. yeah and they are on their way to be uh, to look thrilling again uh, with Luka, Luka Jovic um, on loan from Real Madrid uh, coming in uh, um, and I, I mean they are their 5-1 um, win at Bielefeld was very impressive uh, but altogether their form in recent weeks uh, has uh, improved now they are six of the table they only uh, they I think we um, we tended to oversee them a bit because they had so many draws in the uh, first half of the season already nine draws and uh, only two defeats um, a lot of these draws were uh, sometimes a bit unlucky and uh, so I think um, in the second half of the season we can actually expect a lot from them. I think you're absolutely right. Frankfurt really looked like a team reborn uh, since the arrival of uh, Luka Jovic. Uh, I saw somebody post a question, why doesn't everyone get a Real Madrid uh, strike on loan? <laughs> it seems yeah, because, quite a good idea. 
<laughs> yeah, because uh, not everybody is selling a player uh, to Real Madrid uh, and uh, and uh, to ring him up later on to find he is unhappy and uh, bring him back. And uh, also Philip Kostic, who is a, a personal friend of Luka Jovic, he, he looks uh, reborn since uh, Jovic is back at, at Frankfurt. It's, uh, that's also interesting. So, um, yeah, and, 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 and Frankfurt, um, uh, I think Adi Hütter uh, did a, a very good job in the last years at Frankfurt. They were suffering a bit from... Uh, be, because uh, um, after the successful season in international football, they had to um, uh, sell their uh, their f fantastic front three, um, uh, including Luka Jovic. And uh, but now they managed to, yeah, find their way back. And um, and again. Um, I think we can look forward uh, to what we can see um, from um, Eintracht Frankfurt in the in the last 16 matches of the season. Yeah, and the amazing thing is because of the weakness of the teams ahead of them, they are now only two points off the Champions League places. Yeah, exactly. Would have seemed impossible um, before Christmas, but that good little run has done enough to put them in contention, which would, of course, be the fulfillment of a big dream in Frankfurt to get into the Champions League. And it might just be possible thanks to Luka Jovic's goals. It's, it's what, what I, and I think it would be fantastic, especially for, for Frankfurt, because even if they don't finish in the, in the Champions League, uh, but in, in, in a Europa League spot, because um, international uh, football is embraced so passionately at Frankfurt. Um, uh, also the um, EuroLeague. I mean, there were so many uh, clubs who uh, treated the Europa League in a way shabbily because they were not really interested. But at Frankfurt, you had the feeling, yeah, we are so happy. We can go to Europe. We can go uh, in thousands to Portugal and to France and, and wherever. And, um, it would be, be nice if, uh, if that, uh, would, uh, could happen, um, next season if we can travel in thousands uh, through Europa then, hopefully. Yeah, it would be amazing. I, I agree. I mean, Frankfurt deserve it, I think, on the strength of their, their home fans alone and the atmosphere that they can, they can create. Uh, it would be lovely, lovely to see Frankfurt now also officially at the heart of Europe because their um, club HQ, I'm not sure if you've seen this, Christoph, um, the street was, was recently renamed im Herzen Europas, at the heart of Europe. So there you go. Yeah. Maybe in football terms, at the heart of Europe too. Very soon. Yeah, that is a line from from the um, uh, from a club song. So um, yeah, they they embraced European football f uh, f for a long time. I mean, they had the um, they had their uh, European final in was it 1959 against Real Madrid? 61, I think. Or oh, 61. The 6-3? Oh, no, I always forget. Uh, we were both wrong. 1960. <laughs> um, so they, they, they had their a big European uh, final. I mean, they had the European final in the Europa League against Chelsea, but uh, the big one... Semi-final. Semi-final. The big one was... Uh, the big final was in 1960 when they were playing Real Madrid 
in Glasgow in front of, I think, 120,000 people and uh, were defeated 7-3 by the great Real Madrid. And uh, But ever since then, uh, uh, European football um, uh, was something special for uh, Frankfurt supporters. Absolutely. And uh, it is nice to see them do well. I think there's, there's something a little bit romantic about the way they... They go about things and the special connection that they have with their fans. So good to see them do well. Up in sixth place now, just behind Gladbach, but very much in range of that Champions League spot. Now, I think things will change frequently at the top of the table. Everyone's so closely together. Even Union, after that defeat against Augsburg, still only four points off the Champions League places. So, (laughs) Christoph, there is still hope uh, for you to do your big follow-up. Uh, book about Union in the Champions League. Uh, we'll catch up with you and indeed you, uh, dear listener, next week to talk about all the crazy things and goings-ons in the Bundesliga. Do come back to us then. Have a good week. Bye-bye. The Athletic.